welcome to Wildcards. We created this podcast to get under the skin and to listen to incredible people that have gone on to do some pretty special things in their industries that they sit in. We wanted to speak to them about the game-changing moves that they've made, the companies they've created. We want to listen, most importantly, to the mistakes that they've made and how they've learned from them and how they've been able to create some special things within the industries that they sit in. Find out today what makes a wildcard. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Our first episode. I'm not going to have any episodes today, I promise. (laughs) Podcast. And I think I might be out of turn saying this, but I don't care. I think it's the first in the industry, our own industry, uh, and we've created it. Uh, Well, I I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to put that out there. It is the first uh, episode that Tillo are doing. with regard to my podcast that we're getting live. What are you calling it? We are calling it Wildcards. Oh, perfect. Bit of a streak, yeah, a like wild that. streak. Like it. Bit of a, a hint on my personality and wild? a lot to do with <laughs> maybe your personality and lots of other guests that we're looking to involve. But I'm super excited to have you on here, Gail. Not just because you uh, have, well, I've known you actually pretty much since we started the business. Tillo, much since I started. Me and Gareth. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's when you started in the mm. industry as well, because I think myself and Gaz, we met you, um, I can't pronounce the name. What's the name? It's the quite n- easy. It's called House. House. Of Barnabas. Of Barnabas. We <laughs> met you in there. We were we were very gun-ho. We were very naive. I hadn't got a clue what you're you, talking about. You, I was you very new. You had a clue. And there was I lots liked of, you both. It sounded it was, great. But the industry then was, it was... It was quite stale, I think, and there was a lack of technology, there was a lack of innovation, that for sure, and it needed some real energy. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not just, just saying this because you're here today, but I'm in awe of what you've created with the GCVA. So it would be good for our listeners to sort of, because um, some of them will be outside the industry as well, and we're looking Hello, to sort of broaden it. The but just tell, you know, what <laughs> is the GCVA? What does it mean? And so the GCVA. Who's it built up by? Um, well, it was called the Voucher Association yes. at one point. Um, VA, and anyone who calls it VA now suffers. So the GCVA, the Gift Card and Voucher Association, is the main organisation that represents gift cards, vouchers, incentive reward, anything to do with, with gift cards, um, both as a trade body. So we work um, uh, tirelessly for the industry to ensure that it's fair legally. So we position it appropriately and, and make it exciting. And also we have a big membership arm and mm. we have a huge membership program. And so there's networking, there's insight, there's live meetings, there's a huge conference for two mm. days. There's um, We do awards nowadays. But the aim is for anyone within the industry or peripheral to the industry or wanting to know more about industry to have a basis, a foundation, a hub, uh, a club where they can become a, um, a member of and, and learn as much as they can and contribute as much as they can we love our members to take part and do things as you know (laughs) yeah and I think I think it's quite safe to say actually a lot of our success in the early days is because how hard we worked within the industry my business partner and best friend was actually on the committee for a long time he was on the executive board and he was a really good contributor it was it was really really good I think actually he got frustrated that things weren't moving fast enough Mm. Um, and I think that is really interesting about the industry. I know you're going to ask me more about it, but I think mm. just in a nutshell, from where we are now to where we were, oh. I, I think there are, we've crossed 
boundaries and barriers and the world's changed and we'll cover that but I do think that you know we have a lot of innovative tech fintech companies coming in that want to move very fast and do things mm. but you, we are still hampered by really ambitious and really innovative retailers mm. who get stuck by the, by the c-suite so I think as an industry um, where b2b is now taken over you know there's just so much opportunity and and we as the gcba still um, you know are campaigning and continuing to campaign and doing pr campaigns to position the gift card industry as far more than gifting mm. and that that's the mindset change that we have to work Interesting. on no it's good to kind of hear that um i think it's worth bringing up now also gail and this is this is, this is part of the bit of a theme because it's wild cards and everything like that i think what we want to do in all these episodes is you know give the the guests that we're bringing on board the opportunity to hit me with three Ooh. wild questions ah. and if you want to hit me up at any time in this interview i won't have any idea there's this isn't script or anything like that but it it'd be quite exciting for people to sort of listen to three things that i don't have a clue what you're going to ask me or the guests are going to cool me. i do have some so um we'll hold them back for now i will i just uh, need to make sure i can find them but it'll so be good I, to, I'll, it, um, oh i've got them here yes yes yes, yes, yes. it'll be good to sort of uh yeah because we want to make it a bit interesting to the guests and we want a the, bit interesting it's going to be hugely interesting hugely interesting for the guests but we want it to play a bit of a theme where it's it goes off the beaten track a little bit yeah, sure. That's, that's oh, the, that's no problem. I have. That is the, that Anyone is the knows me, they'll know that the, the biggest frustration with most people who know me is that I, I go one, two, three, nine thousand nine hundred and ninety-nine. Yes. So you that's know, what I'm, we like. I'm going off the beaten track. That's what is, we like. um, is uh, one of my strengths and possibly areas for improvement. Lovely girl. <laughs> so, girl, let's go back to the beginning. Right. You know, talk to me about some of the challenges you faced in your careers. Let's mm. go back to a few, because I know you've got a super interesting background. And no one will really believe some of the jobs you've had along the way. True. Because um, I know you worked at Cartier. I did. For a bit. I did. I did Cartier for six years, I think. Yeah, which is an interesting It was a very interesting journey. time. Um, how my career came about was um, pure fluke. I think like many people, um, I think nowadays you probably get more career counselling and more advice and know what's around. And, you know, who knew what a coder was when a coder suddenly appeared? I didn't have a clue what yeah. a coder was. And all the tech jobs that are around and all the social jobs and the jobs that you people have here. In fact, predominantly the jobs at Tillo would never have existed mm. when I started. In fact, I was pre computers you know I was like carbon paper could help me in tipex in fact one person did comment once said why don't you use some of that white stuff you like using on all your letters and I mean I was never a typist so um they used to have this thing which was erase your boobs with tipex you probably didn't know that advert no, but I used to that's love that me erase your guard, boobs actually. with tipex anyway is tipex illegal now I don't know anyway so I wanted to act I wanted to act that was all I wanted to do um I was very creative I wasn't great at school I was extremely smart but was diagnosed with ADHD much later in my life mm. and if I'd known that I was neurodiverse my life would have been completely different possibly not so interesting but possibly much easier because mm. it's a struggle when you're a very smart person with a lot to say and a brain but you, you can't get it down on paper and you constantly interrupt people and you can't listen and you can't concentrate it's not considered a good trait um so i um i finished school and i went to israel um for three months on a kibbutz or six weeks i think when i was sort of like 17 
to go and help. And those who don't know what a kibbutz was, it's a community in Israel where people all work together, or they did in those days. Nowadays, it's like the rest of the consumer world. Just quickly, did you? How do you get on at school? I got. I think you did the, quite well. the goons. If anyone is uh, said, I got two O levels and a budgerigar, but I got a bit more than that. I got really? a whole. I got. I on the higher purchase, I got about eight O levels and a couple of A levels. Wow. I claim because um, nice. I deserve them but I went on to do degrees weirdly which I never finished either but um, you know and I spent a lot of my life working with MBAs and very clever people who you know creatively sorry sounded very immodest I, I you know I thought very differently and sort yeah, of outshone yeah, yeah, them in yeah. that because yeah. I'm not a box thinker mm. um, but I do have a good sense of process so anyway I went to Israel and I refused to come back and then um, I stayed and I stayed there on and off for a couple of years and then I went to uni I decided to go mm. I wanted to do acting my mum wouldn't let me so I did drama and, and teaching and I didn't finish that and then I left and went back to the kibbutz where I met husband number one when I was very young and um, ended up getting a job at Brook Street Bureau as a recruiter. I went in to say you got any jobs, and they said, oh, we like you. And I was 20 years old and, and started at Brook Street Recruiting. Really? Left there, became a manager there mm. very quickly, um, and then discovered that I had an aptitude for business mm. and creativity and, and process, bizarrely. Left there, went um, to CNA. Do you remember them? Yeah. Coats and at CNA modes, where I took on this job as a... <laughs> I still don't know what it was, but I was their management team doing stuff mm. around all, well, everything that wasn't sales. And then this job turned up looking for somebody to go and work in the after sales department of a luxury goods company. Tiny little advert in the evening standard and I went to Cartier. Really? And um, it was just at the time when the Le Muster Cartier, which is the off the peg stuff, was being taken in-house by Cartier. And oh. um, our boss had a nervous breakdown after two months. I ended up with another guy basically building the whole thing, 25 years old, and then moving into Bond Street. And it was still really wonderful at that point. It, it was just been taken over by France, but it was still very yeah. old-fashioned and beautiful. I got the pleasure of having the Duchess of Windsor's jewels to look after, and just did little dances with flamingos and things. God, <laughs> God they didn't break <laughs> before they went off to auction. And I met everyone from, you know, King... Um, whatever his name is, of, uh, of, of Greece. No, no Greece. Of, oh, every, every, I've met everyone under the sun, Ringo Starr, Rod Stewart, the lot came in. And I remember the king was very funny because he was filed under king. I couldn't find his watch and it was under K. And he found it funny, I found it funny. Um, and then from there, I was there for a long time, and it was one of those situations where powerful little bossy women who had gained too much power. When the big boys came in, they didn't like it much. Mm. And um, they didn't make it easy for me. And found, you know, I was found myself ousted. Mm. But invited back nine months later with an apology, actually. Really? So I went off as you do and worked in PR with a friend who had a PR agency. But it was um, BME, it was Black Minority Ethnic PR. It was looking after people like Diane Abbott when she just got into uh, okay. power. Smiley Culture, if you remember him. Mm. Lee Scratch Perry, if you know him, it was very cool. Really? He's, he's the brains behind Bob Marley, allegedly. He just died, actually. Mm. Um, and so that was cool, but mm. that was challenging working with a friend. So I bought a business service motorbike, my, uh, messenger company, as you do. <laughs> Really? And, and did that. So we had motorbikes zooming around London. I got Cartier account, Tiffany's account, terrifying moving all those jewels around, I have to say. And I did that for a few years. And that's couriering, you said? Couriering. When motorbike messengering and a, and a business service company that we had but in But where this, did that opportunity come from to do that? There was um, a business service company in the building. Right. And she, 
it, they were all taking too many drugs. It was the late 80s and everyone was basically, you know, just having a good time and working. It was an incredible block. We had John, Viz was in there. And John Bra um, we had Basil Jett who started, um, I'm not saying any of these people did anything bad. Um, Basil Jett, who um, the brains behind Big Brother. Um, and all of that. Who else did we have in there? We had uh, David Dimbleby for a while. Leo Sayer was in there. We had, it was a very cool place, and it was a club. We had a club and restaurant, but there were about twenty, no, about fifty offices, and I ran the business service company. Um, but you know, when you've moved from Cartier and you move into something like that, you, you're not that good at budgets. <laughs> you think no. you have more money, so I opened another office in the business design centre in Islington, mm. and then it all went tits up. Basically, um, the really? interest. Late eighties, early nineties went from yes. that to yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I just got pregnant, had a kid on my own, and um, then after what? that, I wound it up and spent five years. Um, sorry, government, working cash in hand, really? <laughs> and and signing on. So I did lots of amazing jobs. Worked in theatre. Uh, worked for TV company Talkback. Worked for loads of nice different people until I eventually got a proper job when my daughter was five. Went to school working for Business Link. Okay. And I moved from there. So then, from, um, but yeah, that's where where I got. And from there, I that, moved into lots of other exciting places. Interesting. That was a very so long talk, answer. Sorry. No, it wasn't. But <laughs> if you going from Business Link, like, how did you find yourself landing the opportunity being in front of you to get into this industry that we sit in today? So, um, journey quick. So, Business Link, I joined as a business advisor mm. and you went around businesses helping SMEs grow yeah. and um, they were trying to they had to, uh, there was lots of money sloshing around government at the time and it was actually brilliant because we had so much money to spend on it marketeers would love it HR people would love it you could just do events and do amazing things and I just they, we needed to demonstrate we had a package for our businesses we were working with mm. and I just came invented something called the premier service and said look charge everyone a gram we only need 30 people got 30 grand they went oh that's clever <laughs> and then I just basically took over business development took over marketing became director of marketing comms never really been a marketeer director of marketing communications and business development for business link central then business link London when we merged and I didn't want the job but they kept me on for a year anyway and then I went off freelance and went to edXL who are Pearson yeah. Um, because they needed to rebrand and I basically rebranded them but I didn't because throwing their name away would have been ridiculous so we just repositioned them and that was really cool mm -hmm. and I had it was a ridiculous job though they ended up giving me I was all product development we're talking exam papers here yeah, so yeah. I had the team that did that I had the comms team the PR team the marketing team it was very digital and then I moved from there to I didn't want to go full-time and I should have done because it was a huge salary and lots of bonuses. But I wanted to, my daughter was young. I wanted yeah. to get her through private school because I was in Acme mm -hmm. and all the schools closed and the academies hadn't opened. But bizarrely, I then went to the academies division. Mm -hmm. And just as they were starting academies, and it was um, working with a couple of people with Tony Blair and Andrew Adonis in 10 Downing Street. And the aim was to find people with two million quid to put them into schools, to academies. So you got the business sector approach and the um, education approach. So mm. you work with the entrepreneurs, you work with the um, councils and you work with the um, schools yeah, yeah. and you develop this. So I did that for a while. So it's going finding people with lots of money and working in Bradford and Leeds and various places helping do that and organizing breakfast at 10 Downing Street. 
How, how did the opportunity for the GCVA or the, the GC, what was it called before? I can't even remember. UK GCVA. So I worked at the British Film Institute in between, which mm. I went as a, a three month consultancy project as interim director of marketing and stayed there for five years. Okay. And that was an interesting period um, and hard because it was a very old institution. Mm. And even though it's film and it was the film festival and the can and all of this, it was, I used to say, BFI, I hope no one from BFI is watching, um, delivered by HRT because there were a load of women around a table of a certain age. And, um, you know, it was very hard to get, you know, I was like maverick where film was on a pedestal and mm. you couldn't, I called it a product once. <gasps> it was a terrible thing to do, but it is, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. I, 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 sector, sector, it doesn't matter what you're selling, whether mm. it's gift card or promoting or, or jewellery mm. or film, it's all the same. And that was fascinating and challenging. I had a huge team and we grew and with the film council got absorbed back into the BFI at that point. So it was very political. Yeah. I worked on the film um, committee with government on helping the whole film um, strategy. So I moved from there and then I decided, it was a big change and I decided to move away from there. And actually I was very wounded for years. I have no idea why. I found it a very hard place really? to leave and work mm. but um then i did loads of freelance stuff and then i went to work something called the skill show which is all about huge big show in, in birmingham for about one hundred and fifty thousand kids over three days explaining the opportunities that exist other than university really? it's basically saying you know Lovely. there's two routes you don't yeah. have to just no. go here and this is what you can do that was great and then i got a phone call i decided to get back to consultancy while i looked to run a charity i wanted to go and save the world and I got a phone call from an agency saying, there's a job here, 50 days a year for something called the UK gift card. Are you interested? And I went, yeah. And 10 minutes before the interview, I quickly had to look up, what the hell is this? What on. is this about? And I went for an interview with five people around the table. Right. How was that? Well, it seemed very... I thought I was going for Prime Minister. It was quite a, it was quite a big interview, you know, I think... Considering like, these are just little cards <laughs> that were just... You know, to. yes, I, you know, I like, I like Space NK yeah. and I quite like John Lewis and, yeah. and, you know, what the hell? And they'd start asking me all these questions and Siobhan Moore, oh, who's lovely. my co-chair, yeah. was the first person I met and I adored her. Mm. And, um, and then they invited me back for a second interview and I saw Owen on a little screen and, he was, right. and I wrote, I'd written them a strategy. He didn't even turn up. Well, he, it, Dublin was a very long way away. Oh, right, Sorry, okay. shouldn't imitate him. I'm not allowed to. <laughs> not allowed to. I've been banned. Him. So I wrote them a strategy because right. that's kind of what you do, isn't it? When you mm. go to interviews, I think. So I wrote them a, a little. Lovely. Um, this is where you come from. This is where you are. Mm. This is business as usual, and this is where you need to go. Mm. And I wrote them that and did it. And Owen said, "How did you do that?" And I'm like, "Well, it's kind of what I do. Mm. A bit odd, but that's how my brain thinks." Anyway, then I said, um, you know, I said, how long, you know, till you let me know? And, and AJ said to me at the time, AJ, who works at Encodia, um, and had been around a long time, said, well, we'll let you know in about six weeks. I said, no. I said, I need to know this mm. week. And um, he said, it could be a job for life. It could be a job for five years, ten years. And we just all broad with laughter because, you know, I was kind of this person yeah. who had big jobs. And here I am seven years later. I so I came in and it was a nightmare. I joined, sorry, it wasn't a nightmare. It was a great organisation full of great people, but they had subcontracted out the office yeah. to um, an organisation who just hadn't got clue mm. and didn't want to work with me because they only wanted to work with Owen, <laughs> mm. who was the chair at the time. And it took, and then we had oh, wow. to organise a conference in the March and I hadn't got a clue what we were. So I just grabbed it by the horns, worked at home, 
my 50 days a year became 50 days a week and mm. um we have evolved from there and i'll take a breath take a breath <laughs> please do have a drink mm. what i love you said something earlier i was actually going to ask you said you know nearly i'm not going to give it away too much but like that maverick term that you you said earlier do you think looking back that's always played a bit of a a hand, if you will, of your success. Nightmare meets Maverick. In good and bad. Yes, good and bad. I think I'm much, much more um, measured now. Um, I remember saying to Owen, the chair, um, how how do you manage me after I'd thrown my toys out around the 50th time? Because I was trying to grow a business and I was worried that the GCVA, the gift card industry, was going to implode because... you know, I inherited debt, not because it was run badly, but because the people that took over had sent invoiced loads of people yeah. for things and yeah, they hadn't yeah, yeah. chased money. And I was <laughs> like, so, and, and I, I take my jobs very seriously. I am a workaholic. I, I get really driven and I become really kind of obsessed with things, which mm. isn't always easy for people around me. And I think that, I think it's been a huge plus and a huge minus in my life. Because, you know, I entered a world when I started working where it was a male world. Mm. And, you know, and because I, you know, I'm very forthright and very outspoken, whereas a man would be considered strong, a woman would be considered aggressive, Mm. whereas a man would be considered sensitive, a woman would be considered emotional or over-emotional. So I went through all that. I had men line up opposite me so they could look down my top around Mm. executive tables. You know, I had, Mm. there was behaviours that weren't acceptable, but I had good ideas and I was clever. And I could change things and make things happen and people recognise that. Do you put that obsessiveness down to just innate passion? Because you know that you can see the vision, the hard work you're putting behind it, it's that relenting pace of wanting to make it successful. Because for people to really understand, like, you know, it's not just come on a bit. Like the GCVA has come on a lot, like significantly. It's the biggest association in the world. Woo-hoo. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> there's a lot. There's, there's so many brands that are a part. Of, some of the world's biggest brands. There's enormous, um, you know, buyers there that are, mm-hmm. you know, some world's recognised brands. Um, it's become a, a huge outfit. You know, do you look back at where it's kind of come from and think, you know, wow. You know, I know the team are there to support the, you. The but, team are brilliant. Which this, is incredible. I've got best team ever. So, but you've led the, the team. Ever. Yes, um, I, I, you know, I have. And there hasn't always been a team. I think, I think one of the things that, and I think full credit to the executive at the time who appointed me, they wanted a brand marketing person. They didn't want a gift card person. Because then everybody knew about gift cards. And this is what I say. I have an amazing board of nine people who know everything there is to know about gift cards and every bit. I know... Mm. enough mm. to communicate but I don't know the ins and outs of how TLA works I don't work in your world but I do know how to position I do know how to brand I do know how to market I do know how mm. to design I know what looks good and I am meticulous down to black tablecloths at the Hall of Fame awards and down to the lighting and down to the size of screen and That's down right. to the detail um, and I mean and, and the way we write and how we communicate and yeah that must be bloody annoying for people but you know I've got a team now has their own style yeah. you know I've got Victoria who works for me has got a really nice style of writing and Alison and Tasha and, and you know they, they do that but yes I think how we've built it and also I'm very intuitive I once didn't get a job at the um, 
uh, London Business School. I was down to the last two for interim director of comms, marketing and comms, and they said, are you an intuitive or um, inter uh, academic marketer? And I said, I'm intuitive. And I knew at that moment I hadn't got the job because it's the London Business School. They don't mm. want somebody coming up with fancy <laughs> ideas depending on what the, where the mm. moon is. So I think that um, I realised, you know, I'd, I've been so lucky with all my roles because I learned sponsorship. I learned um, research, I learned marketing, I like creativity, I learned to speak. You know, I've always liked to talk, <laughs> if you notice that. Um, so I, um, I kind of know what people want. And at first I got a bit of criticism about why you're using fancy venues, although it's not kind of fancy venues, it's venues that will fit enough people. Mm. But as soon as we started, people wanted to be part of it. And, mm. and, and I think people want to be part of something that feels nice and looks good and sounds mm. good and has a, and is modern and contemporary. And we keep moving, mm. we keep moving and changing because you, this is a, an evolving kind of um, dynamic environment. And if we stand still, you know, mm. then the industry, then the industry aren't going to want us. So insight, insight, research, data. Everyone's hungry for that. Going into mm. international, more and more good content, more speakers about the about the industry and not about the industry. Yeah. You know, those zeitgeists are coming on board. Mental health, charity, mm. you know, sustainability, all vital. But we have to just keep up and keep going and keep providing. And COVID provided an opportunity for us to reach people more often via the the magic Zoom network of mm. webinars. You know. Yeah. So yes, my brain doesn't really stop and how do you deal with that personally that pressure i don't see it as pressure i it was only the night before hall of fame i remember going to bed and i was like this and my heart was kind of, and i rarely have that but that was only because i'd had a discussion with with the team and i was like where are we with this and i fired three thousand questions at them so they were like that of course <laughs> so that made me like that but how do i deal with it um i don't I don't feel the pressure like I used to now. Mm. We, it's not the same pressure. The pressure is keeping the money going. We're a not-for-profit. We're mm. tiny. Yes, our income is a lot more than it was when I took, took over the gig, but we're constantly dependent about keeping people engaged. We're constantly, you know, having to make sure we've got the bums on seats, we've got yeah. the sponsorship, we've got the membership. So it is a constant relationship mm. management. And when somebody comes and says, we really haven't got value out of you, it's like a knife through my heart. It's like, oh my mm. God, what should we have done? Yeah, you know, so it is a constant. Um, I can imagine that's quite hard, and it's the, it couldn't be any more opposite to this business because ours is all reoccurring revenue, pretty, pretty yeah. much. Which is it's nice because you don't have to worry in the early days. Yes, of course you do, like any company. But yours is your industry that you sit in that you're leading with this association is like you're, you're constantly having to fight. For more pounds each year all more the same pounds each year and and i desperately want to do some international research you yeah. know and i can't afford it so anyone out there who wants to support and sponsor and be part of it because we need it we need mm. it annually we need to know market sizes we need mm. to know what's happening mm. we need to know tncs we need to understand it but it, it's keeping ahead of that as well and i have to say that's where my board's great they mm. throw in ideas and that's where we look at the content and what have you but yeah it is the continual keeping the membership going we are getting um, and attracting a lot more kind of disruptors, fintech companies coming on board who are looking mm. at, at gift card as a mechanism. And that's exciting. Yeah, no. I'm finding that really exciting of what's happening. I think the world is changing. So on that point then, fundamentally, what do you think has changed within this industry um, from when you started, Antillo actually, pretty much, 
Reward Cloud. To now. Yeah. Well, we're still Reward Cloud Limited. <laughs> oh, yes, of yeah, course. Yeah. It will be like TA, yeah, yeah, that trading yeah, 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 exactly. thing. I remember that. But you, um, you know, it's, I mean, wow. I can see swathes of change mm. in that time, but it, it'd be nice to hear how you have seen it. Well, it's, cha- it's changed hugely. I think the thing is that, I, and I will list them, I'm not avoiding the question, the the challenge is how we position that externally mm. and demonstrate the change because inwardly people can see it. Yeah. So um, the change for me, my very first meeting when I went there, I may have told you this already, and suddenly 30 minutes of the agenda was spent on looking at um, a now sadly um, no longer retailer was showing us the designs for Christmas. And we've got this one here with red and white because it's Christmas. And we've got this one here with a dog. And we've got this one here with a lipstick because we're going to sell makeup. And I'm like, design? What the what? So, you know, I said we're never going to have any design <laughs> things mm. about design. If you've done some market research and you've mm. learned something brilliant, share it. So it was about what we were discussing and it was also it was a very male dominated environment at mm. the time it was very much um it was great they mm. set it up in 1991 because there wasn't anything mm. so what they did and the work they did was amazing and my predecessor um he did a fantastic job because he did it part-time mm. it wasn't his full-time job you know i've made it my life mm. <laughs> um but he I think what's really changed, yes, of course, we've gone digital. Yes, of course, more sustainability. Physical will always be around. Um, the whole API thing, what you've mm. done, you know, you guys coming in and making it much easier to mm. connect, the whole mm. B2B growth, the fact that gift card is still so agile that it can be used. Um, it was used for free school meals, despite them giving it to, um, you know, awarding it to different people. The, the technology was delivered mm. by gift mm. card. Um, volunteer cards during lockdown. Starling won the... Won the um, Mm. contract but it was delivered by gift card technology mm. i think the fact that um it is a cashless project mm. a product and we're Lord, going into a cashless society and my biggest biggest job is to continually position that as a positive because the press you know they they as i say if david beckham was wearing a little gift card on a pair of small pants it would probably get on the front page but apart oh, from that interesting it's quite thought on Friday actually <laughs> <laughs> even for me that's an interesting thought I think well yeah. you know I think every no Harry Styles I should have said <laughs> should Harry have said Styles I mean everybody wants to, Harry oh, Styles in their life me too I'm gonna kidnap him what would you like what would you say is the I mean I get this quite a bit when I sort of talk about you know the business and what it does and whatnot but what would you say is the most common myth about this industry? Oh, I think there's a couple of common myths. Um, grannies give gift cards when they don't yeah. want to give you. Yeah. Um, there is the present you give people that you don't want and, um, you know, rip off Britain are about to do a piece on it and gift cards, but really about organised crime, you know, which really? is, it's organised crime, the cyber crime's mm. out there, whether it's gift card or whatever. Yeah. But um, no, the fact that people um, expire, the myth is that people want to you not to spend your card and it couldn't be furthest from the mm. truth because, you know, the, the lift on cards and uh, the upsell is about, you know, average 67%. Mm. So of course you want people to spend your card because mm. you're going to spend more. So, and I also think that they are not seen for the versatility and the their branded currency. I hate the word as a yeah. customer facing yeah. word, but as yeah. an internal yeah. word, what other product do you have that ties your, you know, unless it's a refund mm. on a bit of a silly piece of paper, mm. which we all lose, don't we? Mm. What other product um, is there that links you to a brand and gives you that loyalty and introduces you to a new brand and engage mm. you? And and you can choose it as a reward and you can get them at discount from, you know, mm. as, a, as a, 
an employer, they're, they're fantastic. Mm. And they save lives. You know, I mean, school meals, they save lives. People yeah. wouldn't have eaten. Thank you, Marcus Rashford. There's a huge bracket mm -hmm. of people that don't qualify, children, young children, that should be eligible. You know, if, you know, like my mum, for instance, that was on them, she, you know, we were on free school meals. My mum wasn't, you know, she didn't earn any money. So, but my little sister, so me, my brother and my sister who are at school were eligible to get them but my little sister who was like beyond that age she wasn't eligible for them but my mum still has to feed obviously the little child then it's all that camp of like politics well we could and go we down could that road let's do that should, i think we should probably avoid it i think that we you know personally we are not in a society that is um acknowledging the need and the and the huge poverty that exists in this country. I live in Hastings, which actually on the south coast is has got one of the um, it, the highest rates of free school meals, which really? is an indication of poverty and and teenage pregnancies. And I think that as a society, and I'm going to bring this back to gift cards any minute now. Actually, as a society, I think we are in a world, and I think we're in a, a world, not just a country, where you know that we're moving far more to intolerance and um, mm. and and less accepting. We've gone far away from the years of love in the 60s mm. and you know the summer of love and i think that we are reducing you know the, the current policy that people will reduce um benefits because there's enough jobs around for everyone and everything is is sad and i totally agree that we should educate and we should support and we should help people get into work because mm. there are now three generations that have never worked mm. but i think we neglected you know when the shipbuilding went and when the mines went and when there's you know there's huge areas of the country that got neglected and never rebuilt and we need to look after the society and we need to give them hope because mm. we're so divided as a country and you know brexit was a great example of that and i think that we anything the gift card industry can do and there's some great examples of people who are doing work with um you know appreciate group have been doing mm. some work with their environment and attila has been doing some work mm. with the with the local um society and mm. we always do charity mm. You know, every year we have charity and look for people, but we, what else can we do? Which brings me on to gift card 500, actually. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, massive. And, um. and the opportunity, you know, which we're going to relaunch very soon for, you know, in Ireland and other countries, gift cards can be given as re as reward, as bonus, mm. and not be taxed up to a thousand pounds now in Ireland. Mm. Um, we give 50 quid here. Whereas if gift cards, um, you could give, gift 500 or 1000 pounds let's start with 500 mm. that some they won't get taxed on that that bonus you get 500 quid you'd come out with what 250 300 mm. you can spend that whole 500 goes back into the economy and that's a fantastic way but also how can local councils use mm. um gift cards you know mm. instead of cash mm. to make sure that people are buying the food they need and mm. not spending it on things mm. to make them feel better rather mm. than feeding their kids so there's so much we can do to help the political environment but it's it's just how we get that critical mass to change thinking and get government to adopt gift cards as a as, as one of those methods yeah huge fan of that because you know you can only do so much as a small business i think you know we've yeah. you know and i think we actually give quite a lot you know locally definitely than where we are as a business bearing in mind we're running a company we're growing we're hiring we need to look after the team there's all these things that we're trying to do um but the it's interesting that our friends over in ireland have 
increased it to such an incredible level. That yeah. is not just a little bit of well, money. Well, it starts that's at a... 100, and, and, and that's all down to Michael from One for All, who was in, I can't remember what the name of the equivalent to the House of Lords is in uh, yeah, Southern Ireland, but I've I... had the privilege of going and being entertained there. But he had some influence, and he could get, get through. The and, and, and it's very hard in this ever-changing, revolving-door government to find anyone to speak mm. to that sticks long enough. Do you think that's the single, like biggest opportunity in this industry i think there's probably <laughs> i'm always told don't say there's three but there are there's always got to be three there's there might be, be two i'm just warning you there might be three i think it's a big opportunity um it does need some work and it needs some critical mass but it also needs to connect at the right moment when they're looking for a big announcement government mm. works in i've worked enough in around central government and with policy groups and what have you to need to know that that idea has to chime with what they want to do mm. And um, it's not, you know, the bicycling to work scheme mm. was, you know, one of, one of the only things that's, you know, like that, that you get special allowance for doing that. So we have to, it's very easy to implement. They could also control it if they didn't want it to be for alcohol or gaming or whatever. I'm not saying that that's, you know, but if they wanted to do that, if they wanted to protect different areas. Um, so it is just finding the right people to do it and getting the critical mass and we will be putting a group together. I think other opportunities for us are to, I don't think we need to change the word gift card. I think we need to explain that gift cards not just for gifting and the huge opportunities, but what else can we do as an industry mm. to support people um, who are suffering hardship or people for rewards yeah. and, and like that. So I think there's a lot we can do, but it's how we, you know, we've worked really hard at getting gift cards seen in a very positive light. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's tough because people don't want to write positive stories, but within the industry and further afield, um, you know, just the billions that gift cards bring in to the economy, need, it needs to be taken notice of. I'm going to ask you a question now. Oh. It's my turn for a wild card, isn't it? Yes. We were, I, I'm so conscious that I could talk for England. Well, I've got quite a few here. Do you want one, two or three? Let's start with three. <laughs> I right. Three out there, here so. we go. Where's my wild card? Um, mm, this is interesting. Um, okay. So you come from an army background, yep. which I can imagine is quite rigid and quite strict. Yep. Uh, how do you adapt that to, you know, having a really cool company where people maybe aren't or used to running to a regime, what have you? How do you manage yourself so you don't have everyone lined up for inspection in the morning? Very, very good question. Yes. <laughs> yeah, good question. I, I really struggled with that in the early days when I left the army i the way i wrote emails and spoke to people oh, i remember that was very <laughs> aggressive i learned very quickly that you just you don't get what you want by behaving that manner and actually i I've, I've got although i loved the army and i loved what it gave me and even today it gives me my you know my routine which is really important for me um, and it sets that expectation to myself about what I can do, and I do obsess, like just like yourself. I consider myself a bit of a maverick. I don't. You're when an I wake organized obsessor. When I though, wake I'm up messy. in the morning, this is all I think about. This yeah. is all I think about. Yeah. I am the person on holiday that is working, yeah. and that is just me. That is just that is just my personality. That is the reason me and Gaz start this business, and it and it's worked because the relenting pace that businesses need in the early days is unrelenting it just keeps on going and that, and it's one percent i always think you know i listened to this great story the other day and, and um around the uh, the one percent rule and that compounding interest of just you just need to get a little bit better every day every week 
and at the end of the day six seven years later you know here we are today with a, in a company i can't quite believe that we've got how do you deal with that said people going back to your question yeah. and going to answer <laughs> it um i i'm just a lot more relaxed with it i just don't expect timings are interesting like people being I late know to you things hate being late that is a big thing for me. That is a big thing. That is a big thing for me. You weren't late. You went to the wrong. I went to the wrong. And I actually Honestly, still got there in time. So I know. I was. I, I'm not a person to be late. I don't enjoy that. And I, it's a, it's a respect thing. I think. And I think. But everything else, you know, I, I pre-COVID, I was very much of that uh, mindset that you need to be in. You're in, or you're out. And that was in the office. So that expectation of being in, working hard together. That said, although I'm really proud of what we created pre-COVID, yesterday at our Tillo conference, I just I was overwhelmed when I looked out into the crowd of all of our team, just our team, and it just reminded me of a story I'd listened to just only the other day, and I was it reminded me of just walking through town and just seeing all these this massive diverse workforce. Pre-COVID, and actually when Gaz and I started, we even got criticised by one of our partners, like, flipping hell, you've got just loads Load of, of white men. Loads of blokes wearing <laughs> it was really bad. jumpers. It was really bad, but it was, it was the realities back then. Now, couldn't be any further from the truth, and I'm really proud of that. So, anyway, my, my last question on to, this, because on. I, it's just so, would your staff agree with that? Do you, do you give them opportunity and space? You do, Because I'm... I used to be very autocratic. I probably am now, um, much less than I was. Mm. I think the board may disagree, but it's it, it's that the hard bit, you know, that you want to give instruction and want it carried out, or are you fine with that? I'm really lucky that I have what I deem a kick-ass team around me to look after me and mm. then their teams. I don't, you know, there's nearly a hundred people here now. So like you don't have to interact. With them I don't you interact don't with them. You know, and I, I don't. <laughs> whereas when you were in the office back pre-COVID, it was. What's he doing? It's nine. It's one minute past nine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I'm having a word oh, with him. <laughs> Alex, I'm so with you on this. I, it's made my life. I'm the, I'm, it's changed my life not being in an office. I couldn't give a damn as long as the work's done. Isn't that, that is a it. mental shift? It is. And yeah. I think that has been such a great benefit of, you know, this this taking stop, stock opportunity I agree. of COVID. I 100%. think it's really nice. And if you don't see it, you don't have to worry about it. What I don't know, I, it doesn't hurt me sort of thing. So I'm, I'm not that fussed on that. There are certain things that... Are really important but fundamentally if you're hiring the right people and you go for it you have a great hiring process ultimately that person knows the values and we're big on our values here it's not just a word it's a it's a sentence has a meaning behind it so hopefully when that person's onboarded they understand what we're all about and if a customer does email and it is something personal to them they need to do something you've got a great be, team they're gonna they're gonna help because fundamentally team. they want to help let's have a little bit of fun now Ooh. yeah so I think, um, you know, when I was listening to your story, obviously we, you know, we've, we've known each other for a long time and I've always known you've had the most interesting background to where, where you've come from to today. But I think I'd love to understand a bit more about your, some of your proudest moments throughout your career. Because there's definitely things that poke out that I look at you and I think that is incredible. I don't know if you're, I don't know if you deem them that that important. Do you know, it's really, it's really odd because, you know, as a sort of creative and a builder and and what have you, I'm like, somebody said, well, that was really good. On to the next now. And there (laughs) is a bit of that. I will bask a tiny bit. Um, I've I've got a worse moment, but um, 
My proudest moment is not work-related, but it's when my dad, just before he died and before he stopped talking, said to me on the phone, because he was in Israel, and um, I couldn't go over because of COVID, so I went there, got there four days before he died, but he'd said on the phone, I'm so proud of you. He said, I worked in business, but I could never have done what you do. And he said, I wish that I had been more the dad I am now when you were young. He was fierce. And that was no. that was amazing. I mean, I know that's a bit schmaltzy, but that was wonderful because he was proud of me. And I remember saying to my mum that I spent my whole life trying to please my dad. Mm-hmm. And um, she said, well, he's dead now. You don't have to. <laughs> Which she meant well, you yeah, know. But yeah. it, it's, it's always been that. And we have a Jewish festival. I'm Jewish. And it's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, when you reflect. Mm-hmm. And I was in Greece, and I was listening to all the music. It was last week, and I was saying, I'm sorry that I was gossiped about that one to that one, and I'm sorry. I haven't done anything terrible, but, you know, I'm not, mm. I, I'm not superhuman. I could be a mm. mean old mm. cow. And um, I sort of heard my dad saying, actually, what you need to um, repent for mm. is the fact that you did what I wanted you to do, not what you wanted to do, that you didn't follow your dreams, you just wanted to please me. And it's really interesting. So I think I would have taken a completely different turn if I hadn't been trying to please my dad and do the right mm. thing. So the proudest moments in my life, work-wise. Wow. I'm just pleased that I've managed to, I don't have a single one. I'm really manag- glad that I, the GCVA I love. Mm. It's the one industry I've worked in film, I've worked in Cartier, I've worked mm. for this, but they're all people who are, the, the gift card industry want to succeed, they want to support each other to succeed. They all want to do well, they're not poncy, they're not show-offy, they're mm. not in any shape or form. They're just a very nice group of people mm. who all want to do good for the industry mm. and themselves. And I've loved working, and I'm, I'm, I think this is probably one of my proudest things really? of, of building this and growing this. Mm-hmm. I've, um, I've been vain with my own business. I thought I could grow something and be brilliant and didn't need any help. People wanted to invest. But I think this has definitely been my proudest role. I've done, I took the BFI on when we were at Cannes. Um, we had very dull stands because they they sell you have you have a representation Mm. of the different countries and so the bfi with the london film council as it was at the time had a stand and we'd launched some new videos and they were about london in the 60s and the front of the dvd was um a a woman who had tassels on her boobs and it was you know and it sort of had some very out there line and i i produced this as the stand and our our director of film festival said we can't have that it's shocking it's dreadful and i stood my ground and it i was in the end my ceo supported me and we got written up you know saying great to see that the bfi is taking risk great to see in screen international and places and you know i pushed that the second one at the bfi was um we wanted to raise money. When the Olympics were on, there was a cultural Olympiad as well. Mm. And the BFI was going to restore the nine black and white Hitchcocks, the, the mm. silence, the ten actually, but one's gone missing. Mm. And we were looking for musicians and people to come on board, composers. I was desperate to get Bowie um, but, and, and Damon Alban because but Damon, I met Bowie actually, but that was a different time. But Damon Alban I wanted because he was born in Leytonstone, but unfortunately someone else grabbed him to, to compose the soundtracks. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I, I launched the campaign and I called it Rescue the Hitchcock Nine. Like, if you remember years ago, it was Save the Birmingham Five or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And I got 
all the big um, video companies called us up, the film companies, they said, we can't use that, it's suggesting they aren't there. And in the end, the director of film just said, shut up, this is marketing. And we got, we raised millions. So I That's fought that one. So those are two, two of my faves. I find that incredible that, and also just massive credit to yours as well, like bringing up your daughter on your own. Yeah. Which I just find incredible. Mm. Like my mum did that with us four. Can you make me emotional? Yeah. We, we no, we no, won't. we'll talk about it. It's, um... it's, it, it's fine, because that was the first thing that came to my mind. Yeah. When you, you know, I, I read the, you know, I'm just reading some stuff that I've made some notes on. Um, and yeah, as a woman going into career, doing all the things that, that, you know, that you've done and have done it on your own, I think it's absolutely incredible. Well, I wasn't very, you know, I used to say I'm rubbish at relationships and I think, well, that just gives a negative vibe if you say that. And now I just say, I just don't do relationships. But you said um, it earlier on though, like when you just go, you know, just done it. I'll just move on to the next thing. And some I, people are just so, they just see that as just a given, which I find fascinating. It's such a big thing and you've just... I've taken it to one side and going, yeah, well, I've just done that. Of course I've done that. That's just the card I was dealt. If people don't say thank you, or I appreciate that, I'm not wild about it, and I can fixate on the one negative comment when there's 5,000 brilliant ones, yeah. you know. Yeah. But I've learned with therapy and, <laughs> and my own therapy that, you know, I about how you deal with that. Because things that, you know, if you are someone that cares very deeply and you are sensitive, when you get criticism or somebody says something, mm. it's very hard to let it go. Most people mm. just move away. That's very much the ADHD thing. Mm. And I remember talking to a counselor about that. My boss had said something to me and, and he said, just say again what she said. And he said, now how many days have you been worrying about this? And I was like, and he was like, it's nothing. <laughs> you mm. know, it was a comment. You And he sort of taught me mechanisms about how you get through that. And I now, I go to bed at night and I think, right, that's it. I wake up in the morning and I will not think about this anymore and I can do it. But, you know, I get thanked. I get a lot of recognition. I never won an award, I'd just like to say. The only award I have ever won is Progress Prize age nine at school. And I think that was just to hope that I might do better. Um, but I don't care about things like that. No. I don't care. I, I like people to say thank you and I like to know people have had a good job. A couple yeah. of things I've done in my life. I'll tell you the worst thing I've ever done, mm. if you'd like to Please. hear about that. Well, I've done quite a few worse things. I've been actually suspended from two jobs, both nothing to do oh. with me. One was when I worked at CNA and I was accused of stealing 1,500 quid, but it was because two checks were put together oh. and I just happened to be there. But it was a little bit... Um, uh, a little over the top. And the other time was at Cartier when I was standing by the photocopy reading the business plan and was accused of photocopying the business plan, but they were just trying to find a reason to get rid really? of me because I was too bossy and did the, the bosses didn't like it. And I had too much power. And um, yeah, both quite traumatic at the time. No, I was left in charge of... I was left in charge of two things at the BFI. My first thing was David Lean, if anyone knows, is a very famous film director. Sorry, I'm mm. not patronising, but he... Um, he was very well known and um, we were doing his his centenary and they suddenly said, can you chair this and make it work? Well, there were like 50 people around the table. Well, miraculously, that one came together and mm. we did it. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I managed it. But then we had BFI 75. It was the 75th year anniversary of the BFI and I was left in charge of organising this. And I, I I have project creep. I do get the pro the you know, the time when everything starts. Let's do that and let's put bells. So let's wrap the BFI in a big ribbon. We did that, looked really cool. Let's put BFI 75 on all the vi videos. We did that. Mm. Let's do this. Let's ask 75 really famous people what film they'd take to the future and why. Now that was the most <laughs> stupid idea ever. So, but we did manage to get, when, um, 
what's his name? The guy, Russell Brand, said um, <laughs> mechanics wives. I was like, we can't have that. He was being silly, but Greg Dyke, who was our chair at the time, said, yeah, go on, you can have that. And I said, we can't have mechanics wives. This is the BFI. You know, anyway, to give us another film. But we got loads of, but that was very challenging. And I put my team under immense pressure. Really? And the highlight of this was going to be this big gala night when, you know, we got Orlando Bloom there and, well, loads of people came because, you you know, the BFI. And I was writing the script with my boss and she went home that night and she was meant to come in the next morning and finish it. She didn't. I had a well-known film presenter who was doing the event and basically we hadn't done a dress rehearsal and it wasn't great. In fact, it was awful. <laughs> and we had the whole film world there um, and everybody, and it, it was okay but it wasn't a, a friend of mine, um, Judy, who's a really well-known producer, she does lots of TV stuff, said, you really needed me on this. And it was awful. Really? So there you go. That was my worst thing that's ever happened in my life. I'm going to start bringing this to a bit of a close. <laughs> right. And I've got three things I just came up with this morning. Oh, God. Yeah. Here we go. So what is the wildest or riskiest thing that you've done over your career and I think I'm glad let's you said business career let's mm -hmm. do on career yeah let's do careers like I'd love to sort of know what you deem as the most wildest or well some people there was this guy called Sir Bruce Liddington sadly um no longer with us who was heading up the academies division and he was saying how how are you brave enough to be a consultant how come you, you're a single mom you're on your own with a kid how do you do that and how do you take and I don't know it was a leap of faith now saying that leap of faith I've lost a house here and there <laughs> you know I haven't always had money but I just knew it was the right timing I knew I was protected and looked after and I don't mm. mean in a religious way or whatever I just always felt that mm. intuitively I'd be okay so I think probably leaving the BFI was <laughs> quite risky mm. at the time I had a secure job and it was this wonderful glamorous allegedly thing and then ended up working for a company then I ended up with no work I had to sell my house in Hackney I literally from earning a really good salary there's nothing really? coming in so that was a big risk um that it's come around um I've taken I've spoken out on issues mm. um in high profile places which I've taken a risk with could have issued my career you know ended really? parts of my career yeah because I'm a gob and if I believe there's injustice or something needs dealing with I'll deal with it and speak about it I, I have to manage my um approach and how I speak representing an organization in an industry mm. but I do believe in fairness so but I'm, I'm a risk taker I mm. take risks in loads of things I do I popped off to Greece on my own the other day I went off to India on my own I've been to Ghana on my you know while my son was there you know mm. I'm, I'm a risk taker but in in work I think you can always play safe I mean as an individual you can take risks if you're responsible for companies pounds and shillings and pence then you have to do a little bit of analysis and research and you don't not knock them over the bridge but personally i just feel i'm done with that time to move on i haven't felt that with this industry because mm. it's constantly growing and evolving but i'm a risk taker i would say that practically everything i've done here has been um an element of risk for the gcba only for pushing boundaries my board wouldn't let me invest yeah. lots of money and do crazy things but i think you have to push and i think i'm i think it's all about risk taking mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm going to ask these three questions to pretty much everyone. I do want you to the... ask me the question about what I'd invest in. So in the business world, Gail, yeah. what do you think is going to be the wild card? That's the next going to be one coming up. Well, this might be controversial, but I, um, I, I've, I've never been very clever at investing in the right things. My um, 
best friend I went to school with married to the, the king of Bitcoin in the States. He was one of the investors of, of crypto and they got how, you know, and he did come and bore me rigid with crypto years ago and I didn't know what he was talking about, so he didn't invest. But there's been, I'm very interested in the research they've been doing with um, hallucinogenics and mushrooms and mental health. Mm, and actually it's one of the fastest growing um, uh, listed stock exchange companies within America. And I think that the big farm have had the monopoly on stuffing people full of drugs for too long, you know, to try and sedate their brains with mental health issues or with um, suicide or alcoholism. And back in the 60s, there was a lot of work done with LSD and how it could help mental health, but it mm. got kiboshed because big farm wouldn't have been able to make the money out of mm. it. And so that, that's where I'm going to put my money because mm. I think, you know, we're talking very small doses here. Don't all go mad and take loads of LSD and mushrooms and run around the place. But it's using, you know, very measured, like they've been using CBD and mm. um, and um, marijuana, but it's how that they use it to help with very, very small, very measured amounts. It becomes a way of helping mental health rather than stuffing people full of drugs. And I think that's a really interesting area to watch because, you know, yeah. So that's where mine, mine is. The next wild card's going to come from. Yeah. Do you know what? That's really interesting. I wonder if these Some companies actually need a this, they need a processor and a partner to build a card, well, a gift card, well, and you then start gifting these because that'd be unusual, wouldn't it? Well, it's happened. I mean, Mitch Brody in the states. Shout out to Mitch. Um, just before COVID, it was launched the Wheat Card because wheat's um legal in so many countries, and he had this fantastic card that when you logged out, it was then <laughs> it was like, would you like to buy some crisps and would you like some chocolate because of the munchies and would you like some of this and some of this? So it's an add-on mm. and an add-on. I don't know if he's launched it yet, but it was a fantastic idea. Makes sense. Yeah, well, of course. Makes total sense. And um and and I think that you know people it, it's seeing things as you know proper rooted scientific opportunity rather than paying a fortune for all these you know the biggest mm. huge drug manufacturers in the world making them richer looking at how herbal because they mm. are fairly herbal some might argue they're listening to chemical yeah. formula but um you know what it can do to help rather than pump people full of nasty drugs that just yeah. make them you know not feel great <laughs> do you enjoy taking risks do you feel that that's your natural go-to thing to do going against the grain, being that sort of fish that swims upstream while the rest are going downstream. I saw these yeah, images, yeah. I mean, I hate, roller coaster, I hate roller coasters, so I don't like fear. You don't like, no. That's I don't a, like that, I don't like horror films. I don't, don't like scary movies. No. I don't mind blood and guts, but I don't like them. I don't like that. But yeah, I'm just wired that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I probably wouldn't jump out an aeroplane unless I paid a lot of money. But work-wise, I will challenge. I think, I think everybody plays safe. I think everyone, if the 2.2 family, the fact I've never managed that kind of, mm. you know, that kind of way of being. I'm wired. I'm wired differently. And part of that is possibly brilliant and creative and part of that's painful and hurts mm. because when you are fighting against constantly, when you're a teenager and you're different and you're, mm. you know, it's, it hurts. Mm. People think you're, you know, you're different or, or annoying <laughs> or whatever you are. And I, I never felt quite good enough. I never felt um, validated. I never really felt that my ideas were considered because I was different, but it's a plus and I wouldn't change me now. No. I, and I do take risks, yes. Our street is very interfering and nosy and they were complaining about saying it. And I ended up sending an email to them all just saying, I couldn't give a damn if somebody ch turns in a turning circle. I couldn't get, you know, this mm. is, let's just all be tolerant. I take risks. I go where mm. people fear to tread. 
and I will continue to do that. Good. I'll continue to do that. And on your point around the most riskiest thing that you'd taken, mm. what do you say? What would you say mm -hmm. you've learned from that yourself? Looking back at those really risky times that you had been bold um, in the film industry and beyond, really. But like, what what would you say is a single sort? Of, well, not single thing. But what are the, what are the things that you've learned from that? Hmm. It's hard, isn't it, to look at what you take away and what you change. I think getting older makes you take stock mm. as well. I don't think it's that... I think entrepreneurs and mavericks will continue to take risks and do things. Um, it's how you manage things, how you manage people. You know, I was that general marching over the hill and everybody else was still back in the pub. <laughs> mm. You know, I was on my own, not bringing people with me learning how to communicate in an appropriate way, not being over-emotional. Mm. Um, but I think it's that the biggest thing I've learned is I am understanding how I'm wired and I am who I am. Yeah. And I, I, I'm very honest about that now and I can manage who I am within parameters, but I will sometimes get obsessive about something and I will, you know, and I warn people about that and I will, mm. but I... I feel that I'm I, I feel that I know who I am and what I am and I feel that I know I'm good at what I do and my my ideas might not always be welcomed and my suggestions might not be welcome but if there's a better one or someone gives me a good reason not to do it that's fine I think I'm a lot fairer I think I'm a lot kinder to other people and myself I've learned to avoid situations I'm uncomfortable with which means large crowds strangely enough I hate everyone thinks I'm a huge extrovert I'm not um, I, I get really nervous about going to parties and things I don't. So I've learned to be me That's and learn in a workspace and in a personal space. I am who I am. You could consider that quite a sad person, but I feel that I've, I've, I've been very wounded by life. I've mm. been very hurt and I've had some very horrible times and some very painful times. And, um, you know, I think hopefully that's made me more sensitive and more aware of other people I think I'm kind to people mm. and and much more aware I've done some I've, I've been a horrible boss in my time if people didn't go where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do I sort of dismissed them even though they could have been brilliant mm. and fantastic and so you know I try and welcome all mm. and be all but be kind to myself be kind to others interesting because your mm. personality radiates like positivity mm. when you're doing these events mm. and you're out you're speaking it's just and I think maybe that's to do with that going against the grain and wanting yeah. to prove yourself potentially. I don't know, but it, I know. I love doing it. I love you can presenting. See that. You I can love see presenting. It. You I can love see communicating. Yeah. I feel totally free doing it. Do I get nervous now? Well, of course, there's a huge crowd of people there, 400, 500 people. But I love doing it and I love interacting. And the one thing I learned is I remember I was doing some presentations back in my late 20s, early 30s, mm. and someone said, You're so brilliant but when you present you go into this really rigid person who are you and I thought and that's the point that I'm going to be me mm -hmm. and so now I do come on and I'm I'm me and I mean you know some people go oh what's she gonna say now and it's lovely <laughs> we don't want you changing anything um no thank you girl for coming down I really appreciate thank you, you spending the time to sort of have a chat with us thank you girl mm -hmm. lovely to have you on board and um, I on wish our you first well your, guest. Yeah, so thank I wish you. you well with more wildcards. What a great title. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Yeah, thank you, girl.
thank you everyone for listening uh, that's our latest episode and first episode of wild cards i hope you enjoyed hearing myself and gail cohen actually get quite deep into conversation um probably a bit more so than i thought and it's been quite touching in terms of uh just how emotional sometimes talking about deep things from your past right through to today um everything within the industry that we sit in through to career paths that certain people have taken especially gail with her incredible story and how she's um you know being a single parent raising a child through to working at cartier and all the different business decisions that she's gone along the way and the risks that she's taken and a real true maverick i think um she's an absolute joy to talk to and i'm really thankful for her time um please follow us on social media hashtag is wildcards podcast um you can also subscribe to our podcast and be the first to kind of hear every episode that have been released so yeah hopefully speak to you all soon thank you